Uh, can I get you to turn with me please to uh, Matthew chapter 15 We're Continuing our series through Matthew In fact this is the last in this series Next uh, Sunday Mark Wilson is going to take us through a psalm uh, And then we're going to look through uh, We're going to start on a series through Acts uh, Looking at Matthew chapter 15 uh, Looking at verses 21 to 39 which we looked at before. It would also be helpful to have this outline uh, that you received as you came in. Um, tells us where we're up to. There's a story about a couple who went for a meal at a Chinese restaurant and they ordered something from the menu called chicken surprise. Uh, the waiter brought the food, served in you know, one of those cast iron pots with a, with a lid so you can't see what's inside and just as the wife was about to open the lid to take out the food and well the lid pop the, the, the lid starts opening by itself and she looks in and these two beady eyes are looking out and the lid goes down again and she calls her husband says have you seen this in the pot and the husband says no so husband's about to, li- uh, to, to, to open the lid and it starts rising again by itself on his side this time he sees those little bird eyes peeping out at him. And the lid goes down again. And so he quickly calls the waiter. And he demands an explanation. He says, well, what's going on here? And the waiter says, what did you order? He said, chicken surprise, he answered. Ah, so sorry, the waiter replies. I brought you Peking duck. <laughs> As you look at the Bible... Sometimes you come across things that you don't expect. Uh, And the passage that we're looking at today is one of those things. It's it's a passage that actually looks a little strange. It feels a bit strange here. Uh, We have a report about an interaction of Jesus, which at first seems surprising. It's a bit out of character for him. And then we have an account of of healings and a feeding miracle that, that seems all too familiar. Repetitious, in fact, if we've been paying attention as we've listened to Matthew up to this point. But when it comes to things that puzzle us, it's, it's worth thinking about them and asking, well, what does Matthew, and indeed God, want to tell us in these things? Uh, those of you who were with us last week who know that uh, at, th- at this point, uh, Jesus is, is up north uh, in the region of Galilee. Uh, he just clashed with the Jewish religious leaders from Jerusalem. Uh, and now in verse 21, we see him withdrawing to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, you can see Tyre and Sidon quite high up on the map there. Uh, some, people didn't, some people reckon he didn't go quite as, as, as north as that, because the region of Tyre and Sidon actually extends further down, but not, not so far from Galilee, but it doesn't really matter exactly where it is. The important thing is, he's now gone to Gentile territory. And there he meets this woman, who is a Gentile. Now a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And verse 22 tells us that, that not only she was a Gentile, she was a Canaanite woman. Now, a Canaanite is a, a generic term to, to describe all the people who lived in the land before God gave the land to Israel. Now, they were the people that God had originally told Israel to exterminate, in fact. If you read Mark, you will see exactly what kind of Canaanite she was, but Matthew's not concerned about it. What, she, what he wants to tell us is that, is that she's a Canaanite, an old enemy of Israel, someone who was definitely not part of the people of God. And this woman had a problem. Her daughter was demonized. 
caught up by an evil spirit who dominated her life and made it miserable. And so this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, had obviously heard of Jesus. And so he come, she comes to him with her problem. She cries out to him in verse 22, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. She recognizes Jesus as the son of David. Remember David? He's the greatest king of Israel. And God had promised David that he would have a, a perpetual dynasty. That he would always have a son on God's throne. And, and God's promise at the time seemed unfulfilled. Because the man on the throne was Herod. Puppet of the Romans, certainly not a son of David. But God had been promising Israel that when he sent his true king, his forever king, he would be David's son. And this woman sees Jesus and she calls him the son of David. She, a Gentile, recognizes him as Israel's king. But she's not part of his kingdom. She's not in Israel. She's a Gentile. And so she knows that, that she has no demand on him. She calls him Lord. Though she knows he, she, she cannot order him to do anything for her. She can only ask him. She can only beg him. She can only throw herself at his mercy. And she does. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't answer her. Not even a word. Now, it might seem at this point that he's ignoring her, though it doesn't actually say that he is. But she persists in her plea. And again and again she cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, so much so that the disciples urge Jesus to do something about it. Send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. Verse 23. But he doesn't do that either. Instead he speaks to her. And explains to her the reason for his reticence. Verse 24. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus was the son of David. The true king of Israel. The shepherd God had sent to look after his sheep. But his task was a specific one. The sheep that he was sent to was Israel, not Canaan. As far as God's plan of salvation goes, salvation was meant to first go to Israel. And then from Israel it would spread and the Gentiles would be blessed as well. The Gentile mission would come, but it wasn't time for it yet. It was Israel's turn at the moment and Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, that may be so, but it didn't stop the Canaanite woman. Jesus could help her, she knew that. It was within his power. So instead of going away, she came right up to him. Again, not in a demanding way, but in a humble way. In the posture of a beggar. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. But Jesus was still firm. Verse 26. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I imagine that you're you know, in the, one of these outside stalls uh, with your family or your extended family or friends with kids, what have you, and there you are eating your food and then you see some stray dogs wandering into the area. So what do you do? I'll tell you what to do. You look for the youngest child at the table. All right? Take a plate of food from the child and put it on the floor for the dog. Is that right? No, of course not. 
Jesus states the obvious. It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. See, the ministry of Jesus was meant to be directed to Israel. It wouldn't have been right to change the, the direction of the ministry and make it a ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. If he started work among the Gentiles instead, that, that, that wouldn't be fair to the Jews. Because God had made promises to the Jews. Promises that he would keep through Jesus. And to disregard that and go to the Gentiles like, like this woman, that, that, you can't do that. Jesus was not about to do that. But this woman speaks to him a third time. She doesn't try to argue with him. She doesn't deny his status as a Gentile. She's not going to fight for equal rights for Gentiles or, or something like that. She, she just wants help. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I don't want to take the children's meal, she says. I don't want to deprive the Jews of their promised inheritance. I don't want to change God's ancient people, shortchange God's ancient people from the ministry of their Messiah. But even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. We have the crumbs. We just have the bits that fall on the floor. The bits the children don't eat. I'm not asking you to change God's plan to save the Jews. I'm not asking you to stop, their work for, stop your work for them. I'm not asking for their meal. I'm asking for their scraps. I want you to help me with my daughter. And this time, Jesus grants her request. And not only that, he praises her highly for, for her attitude to Jesus was the right attitude. The attitude that everyone should have when we come to Jesus. She recognized that she had no claim on him, believed that he could help her, and begged him for the mercy that she had no right to claim. Verse 28. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So friends, we mustn't misunderstand our Lord's intentions in this passage. Jesus had a plan. He had a goal. He had a job to do. Sent by God. He was meant to reach the Jews. And so when this Gentile woman came to him, he had to make that clear. That was his mission. And he did not change his mission plan. He didn't stop and did it from being compassionate. He healed the woman's daughter. But only after it was made clear, very clear, the circumstances under which he did it. He only helped this Gentile after firmly establishing that his primary mission was to the Jews. And there was no room for misunderstanding on this matter. But once this is established, and, and, and he's able to show this compassion to her, then, then, then he moves on to show his compassion again. And so Matthew moves on to tell us about that. Have a look at verses uh, 29 uh, to 31. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, and then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, those kind of things have happened before, haven't they? Uh, back in Matthew 11, Jesus describes his ministry to the disciples of John the Baptist. If you flick back to Matthew 11, a couple of pages before, uh, and he says this in chapter 11, verse 5, he says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. See, this is 
This is the second time we're talking about this. If you're here when we talked about that, I think it was last year, we saw there was fulfillment of, of Isaiah 35, which we read earlier. Isaiah 35 was about the time when God would come to save His people. The time when the exile, the, the time when God's people Israel were under His punishment would be over. When the kingdom would come and God's people would once again be God's people in God's place, under God's blessing and rule. And so these miracles of Jesus were a sign to show that that day had arrived. Salvation would come, that the Messiah was here. But Matthew's already made that point. Why do you think he repeats it again here? And then look at the next few verses, verses 32 to 38. Where he talks about him him feeding the 4,000. We won't read it again, we we read it just now. But there you have those 4,000 fed on the mountainside. Food left over from a small amount of of of, uh, of 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 bread and fish. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Should. Two weeks ago, we heard about Jesus feeding a group of five thousand Jews in a very similar way. It's not the same incident. There are a number of significant differences, but but there are many similarities. And we've already seen the two important things about these feeding miracles we saw two weeks ago how Jesus is greater than Elisha who performed a miracle like this on a smaller scale Uh, we show how they remind us how God fed his people in the desert when he was bringing them out of Egypt 1500 years before but let me show you another thing about this feeding which you didn't have time to look at last time Isaiah 25 talks about the time when, when death would be destroyed and all God's people would enjoy a perfect fellowship with him it's talking about the end of days. And the picture that uh, God uses to describe it is, is that of a feast. Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 8. On this mountain the Lord Almighty will repair a rich feast, a feast of rich food for all people, banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears of all faces, remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. The Lord has spoken. See the picture, the metaphor that describes the state of God's people at the end of time is a feast, a party. A great feast on the mountain. Zion. A party with lots of good food and wine. A party that goes on forever and ever as we enjoy the perfection of relationship with God and each other. Now Jesus, in our passage today, as he did two weeks ago, goes up on a mountain and miraculously feeds all these people. See, it's a foreshadowing, a picture of that, of that final feast. When God would indeed fulfill his promises through Isaiah and he would do so through Jesus. So it gives us a hint of not only who Jesus is, but but what he came to do. We're still going to ask, why does Matthew give us two such incidences? One's enough. The fact that it happened twice doesn't mean he has to rehash it again in all its details. I mean, he doesn't tell us everything that Jesus did. He could have just not mentioned the second one. No, no, no. Matthew always has a reason for telling us something. So what's the point of telling us again about a feeding miracle? Well, there are two hints in this passage. First of all, notice that the people who were healed in verse, uh, end of verse 31, praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. 
Now elsewhere when Jesus does miracles, Matthew just says the people praise God. But here he stresses the God whom they praised was the God of Israel. Why would he put it that way? It doesn't make sense unless there was something significant or unusual about these people that they were praising Israel's God. If so, it probably means that like the Canaanite woman, these are Gentiles. Hold that thought there. And there's another hint. One that we wouldn't normally see because the Greek word for basket that Matthew uses in the second passage, the feeding of the 4,000, is a different word than he uses for baskets, for leftovers, in the earlier passage of the feeding of the 5,000. In the second passage, it's a general word for basket. In the first passage, is a specific word for the Jewish kind of baskets. The first feeding is definitely a Jewish crowd. Right? The next feeding, we're thinking that is hinting that this is a feeding of the Gentiles. Are we reading Matthew's clues correctly? Well, for confirmation, so that we, because we don't want to get it wrong, we can have a look at another gospel. Because Matthew only tells us Jesus is back at the, around the Sea of Galilee. There are Jewish areas there. There are Gentile areas there. Which one is he in? And Mark chapter 7 verse 31, we see exactly which part he's in. He's in the region of the Decapolis, which is a Gentile area. So we know we've got it right. Yeah. I don't think we've tried to impose Mark on Matthew. I think we've still thinking that Matthew's telling us they're Gentiles. We're just checking with Mark to see if we've read it correctly. And we have. These guys are Gentiles. And so as Jesus performed those healing miracles among the Jews, now he was doing so among the Gentiles. The mute spoke, the crippled were made well, the lame walked, the blind were given their sight. All the blessings of Israel that were meant to be there when when the Messiah came in Isaiah 35, the blessings of being God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule, were there for the Gentiles as well. That would have been a huge surprise, unthinkable to the Jewish mind. And, And yet here it was happening. Remember Israel was fed in the desert when they came out of Egypt. Remember in the future God's people would be fed forever at that heavenly banquet. And then we saw how Jesus fed the multitude of Jews at 5,000 in the, in, in, the, in the deserted place. And now he's feeding a similar kind of multitude of Gentiles. You see this feeding of the Gentiles on the mountainside is a foretaste a preview of the last day. And you go back to Isaiah 25, you look a bit more carefully, and it says that on the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a banquet of rich food for all people. People from every tongue and tribe and land, Jew and Gentile, in heaven, gathered around God for his great feast, to be his people forever. So this feeding of the Gentiles on this mountain is a foreshadowing of that final feeding. After this incident, Jesus went straight back to the Jews, as was God's plan. And as far as we know, the rest of his earthly ministry was with the Jews. But these things were still crumbs. For what great crumbs they were. They foreshadowed the day when the, when the kingdom would be opened to the Gentiles, as God had always planned it would be. When the nations would take their place not as dogs waiting for the crumbs but as children at the table and they would bring glory to the God of Israel so what do we learn from this passage there's a few things I think 
First of all, we see that, that Jesus listens and Jesus cares. It, it might have seemed that Canaanite woman, at first, that Jesus was trying to fob her off. That he was just trying to get rid of her, like the disciples were. But he wasn't. He was giving her an opportunity to express her faith. And she certainly did that. And when he granted her request, it brought great blessing, not, not only to her, but to the thousands of other Gentiles as well. And it certainly would have encouraged the early church. They began to take the gospel to the nations that that even in that their Lord had gone before them. My friends, sometimes it's like that for us as well, isn't it? We can ask Jesus for something, we can beg him for it, and because it, it's something important, something good, it's not just a silly thing. And it seems like he's not listening. And sometimes it's like he's trying to fob us off. And we think he's trying to get rid of us, because maybe there's more important people out there. My friends, that's not the case. He loves us. He's filled with compassion for us. If we throw ourselves at his mercy, if we come to him in our helplessness and humility, if we trust him as the son of David, our king, he will hear our cries for help. And he will grant our requests in the way that is best for us, not necessarily in the way that we say, according to his will. But when he does it, he will give us abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine Jesus hears Jesus cares praying does make a difference we need to keep praying and not give up the second thing we learn here is the, the posture for prayer see this Canaanite woman she never demanded she never claimed she never accused she, she begged and and Brothers and sisters, that's the attitude we should have when we come to God. We don't come and say, judge, you ought to do this. We don't come demanding of him, telling him what to do, ordering him around like some kind of cosmic maid. We come like the Canaanite woman, imploring him for mercy. Begging him for his help. Knowing our place. It might be hard for us. Because we as human beings are arrogant. That's the only right way to come as creatures and as sinners before a holy God. We don't deserve anything but his judgment. And yet there is one difference between us and that Canaanite woman. And the difference is this. We can come with confidence. For unlike the Canaanite woman, we have received the promises of God. We know by faith that we are part of the people of God. We know that we've been washed clean, forgiven through the death of His Son. We know that God has promised to hear us when we come, trusting in Jesus. But even then we know that's not because of us, but because of the grace and kindness of God. And so we must continue to be as humble as that Canaanite woman, and yet as confident as a, as a child comes to a father who loves her and accepts her. The third thing we see here is, is something for people who are not yet Christians, or not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus. If you haven't yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus, then, then this point's for you. See, like the Canaanite woman, you, you don't yet have the promises of God. 
You have no guarantee that God will hear you, no promise that he will save you, no, no assurance of his forgiveness. But, but if you want that, if you want God to extend his mercy to you, then be like the Canaanite woman. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Call out to him as Lord and King. Ask him to save you, to help you, to, to rescue you from sin and death and hell itself. Beg him for mercy and I tell you he will hear your prayer. And like the other Gentiles who come in, he will make you part of his kingdom. The fourth thing we learn is how God uses the most unlikely people. Friends, notice how this whole thing started. Jesus' decision to foreshadow the incoming of the Gentiles was prompted by the cries of a helpless Canaanite woman. The kind of person that most Jews would have written off. For three reasons. She was a Gentile, she was a Canaanite, and she was a woman. But Jesus didn't write her off. And the Gentiles who were fed and healed, they might never have known it. But how... In response to her cries, Jesus did these mighty things. Of course, the coming in of the Gentiles was always part of God's plan. And of course, God had, had, had uh, planned this foreshadowing of the events of the healings and the feedings from eternity as well. But, but humanly speaking, from the point of view of human responsibility, this is triggered by this Canaanite woman. You see, friends, Jesus listened to her. The fact that he didn't answer her at first and the fact that he affirmed that his primary mission was to Israel didn't mean that he didn't consider what she had to say. She asked for crumbs. He gave her what she asked for. But not only did he heal her daughter, he went on to heal many other Gentile people. Not only did he answer her request, he went on to feed those Gentiles like he did Israel. So friends, let's not be like the disciples. Let's not write anyone off. Jesus will love and accept anyone who comes to him in humility and faith. And God will use even the most unlikely people to advance his kingdom. The fifth thing we see is how Jesus is both committed to his mission and yet compassionate enough to be flexible. You see, these Gentiles, they were not part, they were not the focus of his earthly mission. At one level, that was not the plan. Uh, they were not yet meant to be part of his ministry. Uh, Jesus' conversation with the Canaanite woman makes that very, very clear. But in love and compassion, he included them. He healed them, he fed them. And then he went back to doing what he was meant to do. And yet even when he did that, he did it uh, in a way that didn't jeopardize the plan. He did it in a way that didn't deny his plan. He did it in a way that was, was fully consonant with it. In fact, he did it in a way that, that, that foreshadowed the plan's fulfillment. And the reason he did it was out of compassion for those in need. And incidentally, I think, there are parallels here, isn't there, with, with our mission today. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, the disciples are sent out into all the world with a message of the kingdom to preach the good news. They're told to make disciples of all the nations. That's their mission. That's ours as well. It's their main goal. Evangelism. Discipleship. And we mustn't let anything, anything at all, distract us from that goal. That plan. We must be very, very clear about that. We can't change the mission that Christ has given us. That's where we're up to in, in, in salvation history. The gospel is going out into all the world. That's, that, that's 
That's the plan. And yet as we go, we are to be Christian. And that means being compassionate like the Lord Jesus. And so we do feed the hungry, heal the sick, help the poor, all those things. Good deeds are good deeds. They are good and right things to do because they reflect the love of God. And he wants, them to, he wants us to do them. It's just part of being Christian, really. They are good works. They are the fruit of mission. They are the godly things we do in love and compassion as we go about mission. And in a sense, they, they foreshadow the day when God will wipe every tear from, from the eyes of his people. But as good as they are, they're not the mission itself. You must never fall in the trap of equating them with the mission. Because if we do, then we'll end up forgetting why we, were, why we were sent out in the first place. Like Jesus, we must be very clear about our mission. But like Jesus, we must also be compassionate and therefore flexible in putting into practice. The final and most important point of the passage is that Jesus is the saviour of the Gentiles as well as of the Jews. And that would have been the biggest surprise to the people of his day. The the Apostle Paul would later write about this in Ephesians 2. And he would talk about, is it, writing to the Gentiles, you know, you used to be Gentiles in the flesh. You were alienated from the Messiah, from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. Friends, Jesus has died for our sins and has risen again. The death of Jesus reconciles us to God, whether we are Jew or Gentile. And so the kingdom of God is now open to all people, even Gentiles. Which is why at the end of Matthew's Gospel, after Jesus died and rose again, he sends his disciples to make disciples of all the nations. Because both Jew and Gentile can come to God through faith in Jesus. You see, God's people, God's the true Israel. They are the Jews who have accepted their Messiah. They are the ones who have received the kingdom. They are the original true Israel. Jews who belong to Jesus. But now we Gentiles have been let in. We, we, we've become part of the true Israel as well. We've been included. And those who have faith, like the Canaanite woman in Israel's king, David's son, who throw ourselves at his mercy, we, we are included as well. And we don't just get the crumbs anymore. We've been given full adoption of sons. Full members of his kingdom. And we've become part of the true Israel. We were just as undeserving as we were before. God was under no obligation to save us. But he did. And Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.19 So you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. Members of God's household. Together with the Jewish Christians. And so, friends, no matter what race, no matter what background, no, no, no matter what country, we, we, we belong. We belong to Jesus. And we belong to each other. And God is calling His people from every tongue, every tribe, every land. Because if we are in Christ, if we trust Him, then we are His people. And what our passage foreshadowed is now being fulfilled as the nations come to Christ. 
Those healings of Jesus, salvation from illness, are, are always pictures of that bigger healing. The salvation from sin and death and hell that he won for us on the cross. Just as Jesus healed the Jews, he healed the Gentiles. The feedings of Jesus, pictures of that bigger feeding, the feast we enjoy in the kingdom of heaven when Jesus returns. Just as Jesus fed the Jews, he fed the Gentiles. And so Jews and Gentiles together be God's people through faith in Christ. And Jews and Gentiles together, we look forward to the day when we will stand before him in glory at that great feast. To enjoy a relationship with him and each other, perfected relationships forever. And forever to glorify the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his faithfulness um, to the task, the plan that you set before him. Thank you that he was faithful even to death on the cross. We thank you for his compassion that he went about and he healed and he and he helped and thank you that he was both faithful and, and, and compassionate and we thank you for that, that, that great example that he set for us well, I thank you most of all that, that he has died for us and risen again as our king and we thank you that that we're no longer in that position of the Canaanite woman but now we have been accepted and that we've been brought in and that you've, you've included us even us who have no claim on you as, as part of your kingdom. I thank you so much for that, Lord. And Father, we pray that we would always be grateful for you, to you. We would always live with Jesus as our King. And we pray this in his name. Amen.